Now, last week, we saw here that at City Church, we teach what is called a free grace theology, and that's why this series is called Free Grace. And free grace has a lot of different components to it, but essentially, we can summarize it this way. God's grace cannot be earned, and his love cannot be lost. One more time. God's grace cannot be earned, and his love cannot be lost. And y'all, free grace theology has huge implications for our salvation. And since we're in a theology series, the study of theology, the, the technical word, is called soteriology. And soteriology, or salvation, is made up of three different components. The first component is called justification, and that's what we looked at last week, and we're going to just review that here in a moment. Justification means to be saved from the penalty of sin. The second part of soteriology is called sanctification, and sanctification means to be saved from the power of sin in our lives. If you've ever wanted to live a life that is full of meaning and purpose, your best life possible, that's what sanctification is about, and we're going to talk about that today. And then the third part of soteriology is called glorification. That means to be saved from the presence of sin for eternity. Now, just a little fact that you might not have ever thought about or realized is that when you die, every one of us in this room, every one of us is going to live forever after we die. The question is, how are you going to live? What will your experience of eternity be? And that is what glorification is about, and I'm going to talk about that next week, and uh, it's, it's going to be good. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. So I want to encourage you to be a part of that. Now, last week, we compared specifically the Augustinian system of justification with the free grace system of justification. And just to review, in case you couldn't be here, we learned as we looked at Augustine, who was Bishop of Hippo from uh, and, and lived from 354 to 430 AD. It's in northern Africa. Augustine believed that justification was a process that someone goes through. And he believed that it was a lifelong process. And so to help us become good enough so that eventually at death, God could be satisfied with our righteousness and receive us into heaven, uh, Augustine developed what many of you know as the sacramental system. Now, here's the key to the Augustinian system. In order for you to have any chance of going to heaven and to be justified, you have to go through the entire system, and you have to go through it for your entire lifetime. And if you don't, heaven is not open to you. Now, we learned a couple of things about this. The first thing we saw is that really it puts the burden for salvation on you. It puts the burden on you to be good enough and to stay in. And secondly, it logically means that you really can't know if you have eternal life until after you die. Because as good as you might want to be and as good as you hope to be and as much as you're trying to, you know, improve your life and do well, none of us can see the future. 
None of us knows exactly how we will turn out in terms of our own character and our own righteousness. And for that reason, we concluded that really the Augustinian system of justification, it's really not all that good a news. And for many of you, it hasn't satisfied. And that's part of why you're at City Church. Now, in comparison to that, free and free grace theology, justification, we see it uh, quite a bit differently, actually. The word to be justified means to be declared not guilty. And last week, we saw that the moment that you put your faith in Jesus Christ, and you put all of your confidence in him to save you, at that moment, God declares you not guilty. We said, imagine yourself in God's courtroom, and the gavel comes down, and the moment the gavel hits, he declares you not guilty, he declares you righteous, he declares you good enough, and eternity is yours. Heaven is yours at no cost to you, because Salvation is through faith alone in Christ alone. And so the burden isn't on you to be good enough at all. The burden has been completely placed upon Jesus Christ, who is sinless as the perfect son of God. So when he died on the cross, he didn't die to pay for his own sin. He died to pay for our sin. It's called substitutionary atonement. And that is why Jesus guaranteed this. He said, he who believes, believes is simply another word for putting your faith or your confidence in me. Jesus talking about himself said, he who believes in me has everlasting life. And I want to call your attention again to the fact that this word has is in the present tense. The moment you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life. In other words, God's grace is something that you cannot earn and his love is something that you cannot lose. Now y'all, I'm just going to call time out right here. I'm getting tangled up in my own little like, you know, lines here that go to my mics and it's bugging me. So rather than doing this the whole service, I'm just going to take care of it right now and they'll have to record another service tomorrow. Okay, good. Oh, does that feel better? All right. But here's the question I want to ask you now as we move into today's talk. Because you're justified, because you've been saved from the penalty of sin, just because God has declared you to be good enough, does that mean that you will automatically be saved from the penalty of sin? The fact that God has declared you good enough for heaven, does that mean that your life will be better now on earth? You know, the fact is, is that many of us, Many of us who have genuinely believed in Jesus and have been declared good enough by God, many of us still struggle with the power of sin in our lives. We struggle with old desires and old habits that we've had. We still struggle with making poor decisions. We struggle with finding consistent happiness. We still struggle with things like depression and and anger and our addictions. And some of you know that just because you have come to believe in Jesus didn't mean that your marriage instantly improved and became the best marriage that you could possibly have. 
Others of us are still crippled by things that have happened to us in our past. Those things that hurt us that we never can seem to get beyond. And so why, if we're saved from the penalty of sin, why aren't we saved from the power of sin? What has to happen in order for you and me to live a better life? We're gonna answer that question today and we're gonna see what we can actually do so that our lives can be the best possible life that God intended for us to live. Now, you know, when I was five years old, back in the uh, mid-1960s, I, I started getting these sores on my lips. I, we now, we call them cold sores. I got those when I was five years old. And you know, it just didn't seem right that an innocent, mostly innocent anyway, predominantly innocent five-year-old boy would be getting cold sores. And so we never went to the doctor in the Witte family, but finally my parents took us and doctors didn't know what this was from. My doctor, I remember he thought it was because I was allergic to cats. Well, nowadays science has shown to us that these cold sores are the result of a virus that between 70 and 90% of adults carry. And here's the point. Even when you don't have a cold sore, you still carry the virus that causes them. Well, in the very same way, 100% of humans carry a spiritual virus called the carnality virus. It is our bent towards sin. In fact, it is so common that even one of the greatest people to ever believe in Jesus and ever follow him, the Apostle Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament that we, we read, even Paul struggled with the carnality virus. I want you to look at what he said. He said, for we know that the law is spiritual, but then he said, I am carnal, sold under sin. And then Paul told us what the symptoms of the carnality virus are. He said, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Now y'all, have you ever related to that? Maybe you wouldn't have said it exactly like Paul did, but I know that almost all of us have experienced what Paul was writing about. We've all been there. We, we, we want to make changes in our lives. We want to live differently. We want our life to work, and we try to do that. But then the very thing that we want to do, we do the opposite. And things that we wish we would never do again, we continue to, make, uh, to do those very same things. What is that all about? For example, let's say that you know, you've, you're an angry person and you've seen your anger harm your relationships on multiple occasions. And so you make a vow, I'm gonna control my temper. And then something happens and boom, you bust out again, right? You ever been there? Or what about the promise that some of us have made to resist you know, lust that we feel, but then we have a tough day and we end up there again at that website that we said, I'm not going there anymore because we know the harm that it's doing to us, or what about those of us who have bought stuff and you got so much stuff that you don't need, it's sitting in your garage, you've rented other space to put it all in, it's collecting dust, you have thousands of dollars in consumer debt and you say, that's it. I'm not gonna spend my money anymore. I'm declaring until 
you see that thing you really want and you swipe your card again. We've all experienced what the Apostle Paul said is a difficulty for every one of us. And Paul, uh, in other words, in other words, what Paul told us is, is that the primary symptom of the carnality virus is the inconsistency in our lives. The inconsistency between what we know and what we actually do. The inconsistency between what we desire to do in our heart and what we actually do in our actions. You say, man, I'm gonna get involved with my kids. I just, I've been on the sidelines. I haven't been involved with my kids. And then you watch another four hours of TV or you say, I'm, I'm ready to start volunteering. I wanna get involved in some of those things I really believe in, but then you overschedule again. Or you say, I'm, I'm ready to be generous. I wanna start giving. And then you spend everything you have so there's nothing for you to give away. Y'all, why? Are we so inconsistent? Where does our inconsistency come from? Well, this is what the Apostle Paul had to say about it. He said, now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who desires to do good. The carnality virus for us in theological terms is the sin nature that dwells in us. Whenever you believed in Jesus, something supernatural happened to you. When you believed in him, the spirit of God came to take up residence inside of you. He is what caused you to become spiritually alive. And now the spirit of God and your sin nature dwell within you and there is a struggle between those two. And it is this struggle and the choices that we make related to that struggle that causes inconsistency in our lives. You know, some of you have wondered, like, why do I keep fighting with my spouse? Why can't I just get over that? Or why, why can't I just be happy with what I've got? Why do I always have to have that sense of feeling like I don't have enough, that I want more? Or some of you have wondered, like, why can't I just go and, you know, have a drink instead of having 10 drinks? Why do I always tend to get drunk? Or why is it that I'm intolerant of the views of other people and I'm proud of my own and I run them down on Facebook or, you know, wherever you're involved in social media. Why do I do that? Why am I still living under the power of sin in my life that's ruining my life and destroying me? Paul said, it's the choices that we make. I want to ask you a question. Do you realize that your life is simply the sum total of the choices that you have made? Do you realize that as you look back on your past and, and maybe some of you aren't that proud of your past or maybe you see things there that you wish you could change or that you wish you had done different, do you realize that the reason you have that regret is because of choices that you made? Do you realize that the reason you're in the predicament that you're in at present is because of 
choices that you've made. And you know what, y'all? No matter what we want to do, we can all predict our future if we keep making the same kind of choices in the future that we've made so far before we came to know Jesus. Our lives are the sum total of the choices that we make. Choices are a big deal because bad choices have devastating consequences. I want you to see what the Apostle Paul said about them. He said, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're seeing this word wrath of God. You're saying, oh, witty. I knew what you said last weekend was too good to be true. I knew that you were going to bait me into getting baptized. And then you were going to switch on me. See, it's... The wrath of God comes on people who make bad choices, and I still make bad choices. And some of you are thinking, you know, I I don't think I'm going to be able to change. And the burden, I really do. I have to be good in order to go to heaven. And, And the burden is all on me. You see, it's all on me. Otherwise, I'm under the wrath of God. Y'all, if you're thinking that way right now, you are still thinking as if you are under the old Augustinian system. God's grace cannot be earned and his love cannot be lost. Let me show you what the word wrath actually means. Wrath is the Greek word orge. And it means literally God's deep displeasure with sin. And here's how it works in the life of people who carry the carnality virus. God gives every one of us the freedom to make our choices. But whenever we make choices that are against what God has designed for us to live, whenever we make choices that are sinful, God gives us over to the consequences of the choices that we have made. And whenever that happens, we experience the wrath of God. Let me give you an illustration. Uh, When I was around 10 years old, I had gotten into the habit of making my own peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and I had a tendency to really waste the peanut butter. I mean, I put so much peanut butter on the bread, like if I could hold it like that, it would practically drip off. Well, we were a single, you know, family. Only my dad was working, and he was just a, he was in the ministry. I mean, he didn't make anything back in the late 60s. I mean, he didn't make anything. Mom was a stay-at-home mom. She worked in the house, taking care of us, cooking, cleaning, doing all the things that you guys know that stay-at-home moms do. And we just didn't have a lot of money. And so dad told me, he said, hey, son, don't waste peanut butter. Well, you know what I did. I did what a lot of 10-year-olds do. It went in one ear and where? Out the other, right? I didn't listen to what dad said. So one day, I made my peanut butter sandwich. And y'all, I think I probably put around three-eighths of an inch of peanut butter on there, you know, and then I put my jelly on it, and I put that on top. I just want to ask you a question before I continue. Do any of you know that if you get too much peanut butter in your mouth and throat at one time that it burns? Well, I didn't know that either. 
but I was about to find out. And so I took a couple of bites and I had all this stuff in my mouth and I'm chewing it up. And all of a sudden that peanut butter began to burn. And you know what I wanted to do, right? I wanted to just toss that sandwich into the trash. Unfortunately, dad was there and he was having none of it. And so he decided that I was free to make my peanut butter sandwich, but I was also going to live with the consequences of what I had done. I was under the wrath of dad. (laughs) Ever been there? Sure you have. Now, did that mean that I was no longer his son? Of course not. Did it mean that my dad didn't love me because he made me eat that peanut butter sandwich? No, that's not what it meant. In fact, my dad made me eat that peanut butter sandwich because he did love me. He wanted me to learn how to make good choices. He wanted me to understand the consequences of the choices that I made. And y'all, this is exactly the way it is with God. God's wrath is not a sign that he doesn't love you. His wrath in our lives is a sign that he does love us that he wants us to learn how to live life based on the truth. Never forget, God's grace cannot be earned and his love cannot, what? Be lost. His love cannot be lost. He wants you and me to learn to make great choices. And that's why he gives us over to the consequences of our sin so that we'll learn. So let me ask you, Are you struggling to make good choices in your life? If you are, I wanna give you a couple of really practical things you can do based on what the Apostle Paul told us so that you and I can make good choices. Here's the first thing that Paul said. He said, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. As Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. You know, the first thing, that we need to do if we want to really learn to make good choices in our life is we have to learn to walk in love. I want you to notice this phrase right here also that Christ also loved us and has given himself for us. That's our word paradidomi. Does anybody remember about four summers ago, five summers ago, we talked about paradidomi. It means to what? Oh, I love that. That's music to my soul. Somebody remembers what I said five years ago. Give your life away. Giving your life away is the epitome of love. And so if you want to learn to make good choices, you need to pass your choices through the love test. Is what I'm getting ready to do, is it actually an example of love? Does it pass the love test? If it doesn't pass the love test, If I'm being selfish in it, instead of giving, I'm being a taker, then don't do it. Walk in love. You want your life to work? Walk in love. But there's a second test Paul told us about. Look at what he said. He said, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. I love this verse. Paul said, you were once darkness. Before you came to believe in Jesus, your life was characterized by darkness. How does anyone know how to live in the dark? 
But he says, you are light. Paul said, you Ephesians, you came to faith in Christ. You put all your faith in him. And now you are characterized by light. Walk as children of light. And he defined what light is. He defined what a light test is. It is goodness, righteousness, and truth. And so when you're getting ready to make a choice, ask yourself, does it pass the light test? Is the choice that I'm getting ready to make, is it good, is it right, and is it based on the truth? And if it's not, don't do it. Walk in light. Walk in love. Make choices that pass the light and love test. And so here's what I want you to do today. I want you If you're facing a decision, maybe you are, most of us are at different times in our lives. Maybe you're facing something this week, you know, right now, or a decision that you've got to make in the next couple of weeks or the next couple of months. It's on your mind. You know it's there. And maybe you know what you think you would normally do. I want you to run your decision through the light and love test. And I want you to ask yourself, does the choice that I'm getting ready to make pass that? Because y'all, the choices that we make based on light and love, choices like Jesus would make, those are what break the power of sin in our lives. And that's how we live the kind of life that we all hope for. I wanna ask you to pray with me to that end as we close. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the fact that you teach us how to live. Lord, we're so grateful that we have been justified at the moment we believe in Jesus and that heaven is ours. And Lord, we believe that promise. Your grace cannot be earned. But Lord, for many of us, when we think about our lives, we really do wonder if your love can be lost. And Lord, we thank you that you remind us again that that can't happen to us, that your love cannot be lost regardless of what we've done. Lord, I know myself and I know for many of us in the room today, uh, we've, we've made some poor choices, ones that we wish we had to do over again. And Lord, even though you've given us over to the consequences of those, you've never walked away from us. You've never left us alone. Instead, you've allowed those things in order to teach us how to live. And so, Lord, I pray that our choices would not only be honoring to you in love, walking in love and walking in light, passing those tests, but I pray also that they would be good for us because we know that that's what you want for us. And we pray these things together in Jesus' name, amen.